one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. The only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSEM 890. So welcome into White Sox Weekly, our first show of December and the first show of the brand new collective bargaining agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players' Union, what that means for you and what that means for me, what that means for everybody. We've got five more years of baseball. We just get five more solid years of labor peace. It's a good thing. Uh, But there are a a couple of changes to the way baseball business and the way baseball is going to be watched and operated over the next couple of years. And we'll talk about some of the changes that are coming around to your favorite game and mine uh, over the next season or two. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the changes that are going on because with uh, in the off season is what I mean. Because in this new CBA or by having one, I kind of get the feeling that an off season that might be chock full of of changes, trades, and and big shifts in power between you know players and teams and whatnot uh, was was kind of being held back just a touch. Uh, by the, the 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 cloud of of maybe a not having a labor agreement over the last week uh, that that kind of existed throughout the the league throughout the industry uh, might have settled over uh, some negotiations some trade talks and whatnot and through not knowing exactly how things are going to look what with perhaps a qualifying offer maybe going away or what have you uh, teams might have been a little hesitant a little reticent to go ahead and make deals. And, and improve their rosters or change their rosters over. Now that that's done and the winter meetings start tomorrow, uh, I would imagine that the uh, the slippery slope is just about to be descended on by, uh, by a bunch of, of different clubs. And it should be a lot of fun to watch and see how it happens. you got White Sox Weekly. We're here for the next hour or so. We're here to 1 o'clock. And we got plenty to do on the show. I'm Connor McKnight, and you can reach the show 312 312- Five nine one eighty nine hundred three one two five nine one eighty nine hundred. A lot to talk about this afternoon, and if you've got questions or if you've uh, read some about this CBA and want to know how it affects the White Sox, uh, how it might affect teams that are looking to make changes this off season, feel free. Give us a call. I'll try and work you through as much as I know about it. There have been a number of uh, baseball scribes who have written plenty about it, and that's that's how I've learned about most of it. But make no mistake, as the next week or so rolls through. A lot of these, a lot of the issues, a lot of the points and processes that are involved in making a CBA, they're still being agreed upon. There isn't a document, a flesh and blood, a, a ink and paper document that both sides have signed and ratified yet. There are uh, premises that have been agreed to, you know, basic agreements and, and structures and changes uh, as to how we're going to play baseball for the next five years or so. But that doesn't mean that everything is all said and done. And I wouldn't be surprised. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. I wouldn't be surprised if some larger changes to the way the game is played day in and day out might still come out of this CBA that's still being uh, still being put together in a, in a very strong or in a very um, rigid format eventually. So uh, we'll get to some of those changes. We'll talk about some of those big things. Uh, but, of course, the offseason rolls on, and that means that uh, – the, the big things are, are rolling through. Just yesterday was the non-tender, non-tender deadline 
for clubs. And, of course, this means arbitration-eligible players had to have contracts offered to them. Uh, and, and, in fact, they were for a lot of for a lot of players, for the White Sox, for a lot of clubs. And yet some, some big-name players, or at least names that you'd know, uh, that weren't offered contracts and are now uh, free agents. So we'll go through some of those. We'll go through some of the players that will be back on the White Sox, or at least uh, were agreed or did agree to contracts over the last day or so. We'll talk with Scott Merkin of MLB.com. He covers the White Sox and does it real well. And uh, about exactly which players are for sure coming back. Two of them, and I suppose if you haven't heard yet, now's as good a time as any to let you know, both Brett Laurie and Avisel Garcia were both tendered contracts. And both of them uh, took a little bit of a pay cut in as to... In regards to to where a lot of people had their salaries for the 2016, I'm sorry, 2017 season estimated, Brett Laurie uh, agreed to a deal with the White Sox reportedly worth about three and a half million dollars. Avi Garcia worth about three million dollars or so, and both of those guys had um, some ups and downs to that season. A, a rocky 2016 for both of them, though in different uh, in different aspects. Brett Laurie uh, came out of the gate slugged a ton walked a ton. In fact, he was on pace to triple his walk rate through the first two months of the season, uh, triple his career walk rate in one year through the first two months of the season. Uh, the last two months of the season did not go well for Laurie, but mostly because of health issues, a leg, foot, hip, knee kind of thing that was never uh, incredibly uh, accurately diagnosed throughout the, the final two months of that season, and it was tough for Laurie to get back on the field Played a little bit in in double-A rehab starts, but was unable to kind of lock down exactly what the issue was and fix things up. There was some, you know, speculation that either Laurie or Avi Garcia might have been non-tendered by the White Sox and thus granted their free agency. With Laurie, you know, that's a guy who can play multiple positions. You'll remember, of course, when the White Sox or when the White Sox traded for Laurie, this was before the Todd Frazier trade, and Laurie was was talked about as being a potential starting third baseman. For the White Sox. So, you know, he can play a little second, uh, as we saw last season, play a little third, could in a pinch, I think, play a little bit of shortstop for you, not on an everyday basis, but a guy who could come in there. And that kind of versatility is meaningful to a ball club. As for Avi Garcia, um, I know that there's a little bit of head scratching as to uh, Avi getting added back to this team and, and tendered a contract. I think a lot of White Sox fans, and I think a lot of baseball, quite frankly, thought Avi Garcia might have been non tendered. Now, Avi Garcia has obviously been on this club for, for quite some time, and we'll talk with Scott Merkin about what the White Sox uh, expect from him in the 2017 season and exactly what it means that the club uh, agreed to a deal with the outfielder they got for, the, for Jake Peavy just a couple of years ago from the Detroit Tigers in that three-way deal. Jose Iglesias went to the Tigers in that move. Jake Peavy goes to Boston. You'll remember the, you remember the trade. Regardless, Avi has had some serious swing-and-miss issues uh, in his appearances at the plate. In, in fact, he led all of baseball in swings and misses um, for players qualified with, with 400 plate appearances. That said, there were, frankly, there were silver linings and kind of impressive runs in Avi Garcia's 2016 season. He was the third most clutch guy on the team when you go by win probability added in, in clutch situations. It was, it was uh, Melky Cabrera, then it was Carlos Sanchez, who had, you know, and, and this is, to be fair, it's a stat that kind of counts up. So the more chances you get, the more often you succeed. It's a, a counting stat like RBI or runs would be. So the more chances you have, the better off. 
but Carlos seemed to come through in like five or six consecutive at-bats late in that last two months of the season um, and just stacked up a bunch of numbers. But then it was Avi. And you'll remember, uh, Avi with, a, with some, some pretty key singles for the White Sox that led to winning ball games. Some of them when the White Sox were out of it, and some of them when the White Sox were having uh, a pretty good run there. Consistent playing time has been a tough thing for Avi to find over the last two years, and I think uh, that has somewhat stunted some development. That said, he's still a young player who's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of shine left on him. The White Sox are going to see if he can reach some of that talent. Three one two five nine one eighty nine hundred is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We got all that plus Harold Baines is up for the Hall of Fame. We'll find out tomorrow uh, exactly what his chances are. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. We'll talk much more about the collective bargaining agreement that got struck. Uh, just the other day. Up next, Scott Merkin, MLB.com, on the latest with the White Sox roster, having signed Brett Laurie and Avi Garcia to the 2017 team and what he expects is coming down the line now that baseball has a new CBA. I'm Connor McKnight. You have White Sox Weekly. This is WLS AM 890. Today, Jimmy Butler and the Bulls head to the Lone Star State to take on Harrison Barnes and the Dallas Mavericks. Broadcast begins at 7 p.m. The Chicago Bulls lay here. WLS AM 890. Bulls for the win against the Cavaliers last night. Kind of fun to see and happy for everybody here at WLS. We're, of course, the proud home of the Chicago Bulls and the proud home of your Chicago White Sox as well. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly. Sox Fest 2017 returns January 27th through January 29th. We're bringing ballpark fun to the Hilton Chicago. You'll score an autograph or photo with current players, coaches, and White Sox greats. Your favorite areas are back with an interactive space to play games win prizes and shop for team gear. It'll be a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now. Visit WhiteSox.com slash SoxFest for tickets and more information. You can also register to win. Wow, is this right? You can also register to win a romantic evening with Scott Merkin of MLB.com. That is, that's dynamite stuff. Merk, I, I didn't know that you were, you were part of the SoxFest thing. This is great. That, that, I was kind of listening, half listening to that, and then I heard that. I'm like, wow, no one approached me on that. But, you know, hey, if that's what they want to give away, uh, wow. It, it might be, you know, that might be something that our program director, Peter Bolger, has has just kind of thrown into the mix here. So I'll, I'll, I'll clear things with him and make sure things are good. But uh, how was your offseason, my man? You think it's good with you? Yeah, it's been pretty good. How about yours? Oh, you know, not so bad. Going to have a you know Big Ten title game this evening. I uh, can't help but notice that two of the top-ranked teams aren't going to be in there, but that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah, you know, one would be in there if the spot was correct last week, but, mm-hmm. you know, hey, also other mistakes along in that game, too. Not uh, shocked at all that, you are a, that you're a spot truther, that you're a JT Barrett spot truther. Yes, I, I, I believe Michigan won that game, but then again, really, no one cares what I believe. <laughs> so I guess, you know. Well, we so care I guess you, it's going to be. We care what you think, think about the White Sox. The, yeah, I, I think the Final Four has been pretty well set, though, barring a Clemson upset tonight in the in the college football ranks. Fair point. Like. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. All right, let's get to the baseball. Uh, a new collected bargaining agreement between the league and the union. Obviously, nice to hear. There are a couple of, of points that we'll pick apart a little bit later in the show, but. You know, I, I just want to get your relative impressions of it. I, I know over the last week and a half or so prior to the agreement being struck, the, the lockout word got thrown around a lot. And, and I wonder, you know, if you'd heard things that where, where it got – because some reports were like, yeah, this is – it could really be a lockout. And some were, eh, everything's going to be fine. Anything that you heard one way or the other, you surprised? Just from the people, you know, I don't do as much of the national stuff as a Ken Rosenthal or right. Bob Nightingale or anything like that. But just from people I talk to more on the local level – 
it sounded like what ended up happening was going to happen. You know, I mean, baseball's in a really good place right now, it seems like. They came off a, a phenomenal World Series. Some people saying, you know, one of the best Game 7s in World Series history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe just one of the best games, period, in World Series history. Very good playoffs overall. You know, NFL not exactly rolling right now. And I, I just, I think everyone, I, I personally, without even knowing the machinations of the negotiations, say that ten times fast, I um, thought that it would get settled, and it did, and it's all good, and it's off to uh, near Washington, D.C. tomorrow for the winter meetings. The machinations of negotiations, I think, were a 1988 punk band. They were very good. It was, it was, it was a band I played in at Homewood Flossmore High School for a very short time until people realized I had no musical ability. Dynamite and it was over then. Yeah, Dynamite Hack you was go. your single, I think. There you go. <laughs> um, so, Mark, uh, the big news yesterday, of course, and yesterday the non-tender deadline for teams, and I guess we could probably go through a number of names that would be pretty familiar that weren't tendered by clubs and see if you think the White Sox might have some interest in it. might be a little early for that, but it's fun to do. Avi Garcia and Brett Laurie are, are coming back for one-year deals for the White Sox. Um, I think on on the one hand, uh, the Laurie thing makes some sense. He's got a, little, a lot of versatility to him. Uh, we saw what he could do when he's healthy. Uh, you saw how uh, health has affected his career um, last season and in the past as well. And Avi Garcia coming back, a guy who has uh, struggled to find consistency throughout his White Sox career, yet you know has always kind of teased with some promise. Yeah, you know, I think in Avi Garcia, it's it's kind of he's kind of become the hot button issue that was Diane Vizieto before him. You know, <laughs> in, in the sense that, you know, he came over. He was he he was kind of I don't know if you remember Connor, but he was kind of the cornerstone of the sort of revamp, revamp, rebuild while contending plan that Rick Hahn put into effect starting in 2013 when they and people were kind of stunned that they were able to get him. Yeah. When in that three-team trade that Jake Peavy went to the Red Sox and Iglesias went to the Tigers, I think that's how it went, with other pieces involved in it, too. And, you know, he had that horrible shoulder injury in Colorado, and you really do wonder where he goes. You know, I, I'm not saying he would have been a 40-home run, 310 hitter, sure. gold-glove outfielder, but you wonder if he was a, it'd be a little better without missing that huge chunk of time. And to give him credit in that instance, he worked his butt off and came back earlier than people thought and just has not – found consistency since then. You know, he's, he's not been a consistent defensive player. He's not been a consistent force of the plate. He was a very good hitter, you know, with runners in scoring position last year, yeah. but just not – the plate discipline just isn't there. And I think, you know, part of the – I think there's still a faction in the White Sox organization that believes that talent's going to show it through. It's, it's not like he's a 35-year-old player, still a young player. But there's also, you know, quite a bit of precedent to say he's had quite a bit of ma- few major league – quite a few major league plate appearances. Yeah. And what you see from him is just what you might get from him. So, you know, again, I, it's there's so much up in the air with the White Sox because of this perceived rebuild and who's going where and who's staying and that kind of thing that it kind of makes sense for the money to, to keep him there. And, you know, Brett Lowry, uh, I, I know, has been working hard since the, you know, kind of the weird injury that I think people thought would be a shorter time and ended up costing him the whole year, even through a rehab assignment with Birmingham. But I was there, and I didn't see him, but when I was there for a few days during the uh, fall league and instructional league, he was uh, he was working there. Matt Davidson was working there at Camelback Ranch. And, you know, he took less – Brett took less this year than he made last year, and he was arbitration eligible again this year. So that says something that, I, you know, I, it, to me it says without talking to him and getting the, the words directly from him that he wanted to stay with the White Sox instead of going through a whole, the whole process again. So we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, he gives, you know, much like Tyler Saladino, who I talked to this week, whose, whose back is, you know, is, sounds great from the, the 
program that he's been on the offseason. You know, Laurie can play third base. He was the guy who was going to be their third baseman for about a week last year in the winter meetings until they got Todd Frazier. You know, you have Carlos Sanchez, who I know the team still, you know, likes quite a bit. So there's some options there to work around the infield, although, you know, this is far, far from what they're going to look like, you know, in a month from now, I'm guessing. Yeah, what what do you think? And and I don't know if if anything – I kind of seem to think that a lot of uh, negotiations, a lot of talks were all – I don't know, not saying specifically with the White Sox, but just kind of league-wide. Some stuff was, I think, probably being handled a little more tentatively than it would have otherwise with this CBA kind of looming over them. I mean, just get this done, and then we'll then we'll really start talking. Then we'll really start moving. CBA deadline was before the winter meetings, you know, by design. And now I, I think the gloves are off, or the restrictor plate's off a little bit. Does Do any of these non-roster moves, or I should say uh, the, these tendering moves the White Sox have made, I, I suppose we've been trying to do this all off season. Do they point to anything for you? Uh, you know, I, I think having Avi back, you would think might be a, a little bit direction of a rebuild, you know, because I'm not sure, you know, last year they were, they had their designs on contention and they started off as not only a contender, but a first place team with their 23 and 10 opening. Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of the DH basically because, you know, the Roche had left in spring training um, you know, he didn't like that position. I know a lot of players don't like that position full time. So, you know, I, I don't think he would be a guy you would play every day, or I'm not even sure what his bench role would be on a team that's dead set on contending. So, I, I, again, I, I don't think these moves say anything except that, you know, it made sense to bring him back at the cost that they have. So, again, I, I don't want to read too much into it. I, I think, you know, they, they both, both talented guys, both can fit in in a number of different spots, and. That that's what it means right now. I think there are going to be other moves. I know Rick said and Rick joked about you know a couple years ago or two off seasons ago that he said the first couple moves will dictate where we're going. And I think he joked that he said the first move was signing Steve Lombardozzi to a minor league contract. Yep. So I I know he said that again this year. I think you're looking for the bigger, you know, more destination kind of moves. You know, and I don't think these moves are the moves that you should say. Okay, here are the two moves. I, I get it. By the letter of the law or the literal words he said, he said the first couple moves. Let's wait and see the two real, you know, kind of big moves and go from there. I agree. Let's talk with Scott Merkin of MLB.com. I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, to a certain degree, White Sox fans have listened to, um, whether it be national rumors or, or local guys, you know, good beat writers throwing out uh, conversations that other teams have had ostensibly with the White Sox about either Chris Sale or some reports of Jose Quintana, but mostly they've been centered around Chris Sale, and they should. If if that's a move the White Sox decide to make, he would obviously uh, set the tone of the marketplace. And I, you know, in looking through some of these rumors or, or hearing them and listening to them, it's almost to me, as soon as Rick said everything is on the table in that final offseason meeting and, and introducing Ricky Renteria as the new manager of this ball club, I just kind of assumed that it would be normal course to hear all these teams, every team mentioned in Chris Sale discussions because of who Chris Sale is and what he can do for a ball club. I, I kind of, you know, whether it's a Braves or an Astros or a whatever, Yankees, whatever it happens to be, I, I just, I don't even bat an eye anymore at hearing some of these because they every team should be interested in Chris Sale. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a point, that's a good point. I think it's a point we've all kind of made in our writings in that, you know, any team that has the prospect hall and the elite, you know, major league ready kind of front runner for it, has, has got to make a call because, I mean, Chris is a great kid, uh, good clubhouse force, a great pitcher, you know, arguably, you know, in the team photo of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball. Yeah. And under great contractual control, what he's got one year left and then two, you know, good, solid options. 
So you have three years of control of this guy, uh, you know, who's, you know, it, the Sox don't have to trade, obviously. So, yeah, whether you're, you know, the, the Cubs or whether you're a step away from the worst team in baseball, you, you're going to call and ask about Chris Sale if you feel like you can make the moves to to get him, if you feel like you have what it takes, what the Sox want to get him. There's no question about it. There's no reason any team record-wise, or there's no reason any record for a team should preclude it from, you know, making a call to Rick Hahn or, you know, Kenny Williams or anyone and saying, you know, we're interested in this guy. We want to get him. You know, how do we, how do we stack up type of thing? You know, interesting that you put it that way because I, you know, in saying that I, I didn't even bat an eye at any of the rumors, I guess I'm, I'm calling my own bluff. I suppose when I did read, and I think it was, I want to make sure I attribute it right because I know everybody works hard to get it. I, I believe it was John Heyman who had the Braves rumor first. The Braves came yeah, in the times. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and that one surprised me some given where the Braves were as a club. And I, Admittedly, you know, you go over to an AL team and you, you focus maybe a little with the prospects of an NL club are probably the first thing that goes as far as your awareness of a club. You know, you know they have Dansby, Dansby Swanson. They made a huge trade for Shelby Miller. I didn't realize that the Braves' um, minor league system was as, uh, as as hardy as it is and that Dansby Swanson, of course, would, would have to be a guy that you'd get back in a Chris Sale move, and yet there's been some some blowback on that from uh, from Braves writers from Braves sources. Well, see, that's interesting. Ken Rosenthal wrote a good column about, you know, the guys on each team that were that could be after sale with the, you know, you can't do that trade. Yeah. You know, and then I kind of wrote about on the other side about how the Sox have to have, you know, in each of these teams they're talking to, mm-hmm. the one guy that you say, okay, you can't, this deal can't get done without him. You know, because remember, this is not like a mandate to trade Chris Sale. Chris no. Sale does not have to be traded. I mean, Chris not. Sale is a, is a great guy to have on your team. Chris Sale is the kind of pitcher you pay $200 million for, i.e. David Price or Max Scherzer, when you need that ace to kind of finish things off. You know, not necessarily every pitcher is going to go for $200 million, but I'm saying he's of that ilk if he were on the, you know, open market as a free agent. So, you know, you could do a lot worse than having Chris Sale, Carlos Rodon, and Jose Quintana at the top of your rotation. No, no question about it. So, yeah, I think, you know, as I've said a number of times, and I'm certainly not the only one to say this, I think, you know, the White Sox, this phrase gets thrown around, you know, having to win the trade, but I think they not necessarily have to win the trade, but they have to get exactly what they want. Now, maybe if, you know, they get the first two guys and they want three more prospects and the fifth the fifth guy is not who they want, that they can adjust there if if, if this is the direction they're going. Because remember, they have not specifically said this is the direction they're going. It's, right. it's just kind of assume that's the direction they're going. But I, I think, you know, you're not going to settle for anything less than what you want because it doesn't make any sense to do that, you know? You've got the biggest chip in all of baseball right now if you want to move it. And, uh, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's no reason to do it unless you, uh, unless you absolutely have to have it. Yeah, no question. No, and now, if you're going to rebuild, you know, I mean, Chris Sale is a guy who can, you know, I mean, I, I, I would think depending on the depth of rebuild, if you're going to rebuild, you could move Chris Sale and a guy like Jose Quintana, and boy, that would you know. I mean, obviously, Don Cooper would probably not be totally in favor of that that kind of move. But but I mean, that what you would get back in those two guys alone with their value in in this day and age, you could probably you know speed the the rebuild process up like by you know a two to one ratio. But not saying that's going to happen. You know, I think we'll learn a little more hopefully from you know Rick Hahn when they make that first move whatever it may be, and then they can explain it a little bit more at that point. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's some pieces there. And, I, you know, if, if they are rebuilding, I would expect pretty much everyone, but, geez, I guess Carlos Rodon and Tim Anderson sure. would be players that, that could be moved, you know, that, that could that could be 
dealt to. Remember, the, the, the goal that Rick has expressed, and, you know, it was something Kenny expressed before Rick was the GM, is that, you know, multiple championships. They want to be in position to contend right. and win multiple championships. So that might mean taking a step or two back in the interim to be ready, you know, to really go after it in three or four years. Like other teams, you know, I mean, the Cubs obviously worked out real well. Houston Astros are another team that did that. So, you know, that could be the plan if that is the ultimate goal. Rick, appreciate you hopping on as always. Have a uh, have a wonderful championship Saturday. We'll talk to you again soon. And uh, oh, good. Yeah, have good fun at the winter meetings. Good luck to your team tonight. All right, you got it. thanks, Ben. All right, got it. Bye. Scott Merkin, MLB.com, and uh, Michigan's finest fan, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, when we come back after the twelve thirty news, we'll get into some of the particulars of the CBA. We'll talk a little bit about Harold Baines too and his quest for the Hall of Fame. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA ninety. John Ray back bright and early Monday morning. The Donald Trump Victory Tour continues. We've got the backstage passes before the Donald Trump Victory Tour. Tickets even go on sale. Monday, WLS AMA 90. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got you for the next half hour or so. You can get involved with the show. It's pretty easy to do. 312. 591-8900, or you can hit us up on Twitter at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle we use throughout the entirety of the season. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers, redeemable for 71 great games in 2017, and start at just 40 bucks. Each order is shipped with a decorative card and commemorative White Sox ornament, complete with the official team colors and logos, as well as festive red stitching. Uh, visit WhiteSox.com slash Holiday Packs for more information or to order yours today. A uh, lot of stuff to get to here on the show. It's been a busy week in Major League Baseball, of course, with the CBA getting locked up, uh, some player movement, uh, and that's continued this afternoon, in fact. Some breaking news scrolling across the bottom of everyone's sports screen today. I just talked with Scott Merkin of MLB.com and theorized a little bit about some potential landing places uh, for a, a trade that the, the White Sox have been rumored to be exploring for quite some time here. Of course, that being the, the Chris Sale, the rumored uh, potential theorized Chris Sale trade. I don't know how many more qualifiers I can put on there, but if you can think of any, let me know. Um, that being that the Houston Astros have reportedly signed Carlos Beltran to a one-year deal. Uh, it's interesting that the Astros um, are making some of the moves that they're making. They've picked up Nori Aoki. They have Josh Reddick signed to a brand-new contract. They have uh, a couple of young players. Of course, they signed Yulieski Guriel, 32-year-old Cuban player, during, uh, what was that, three months left in the season last year, adding him, uh, mostly a corner guy, third base, first base kind of guy. Still have Colin Moran, who they like a little bit, a former first-round pick. So uh, there, there are... It seems as though they're kind of doubling down on offensive production and trying to solidify some spots that were otherwise a little bit light hitting, especially early in the first two months of the season for the Astros. They slipped behind most of those teams in the NL West, uh, trying to solidify some of those positions with veterans with track records, like Reddick, like Beltran, guys like that. So what be interesting here is if you're doubling down on some of the uh, some of the offense, basically just by spending money, Reddick, Beltran, uh, Guriel, and the like, maybe the Astros are a team that more and more starts to look at that club, a team that's ready to go for it, a team that's uh, ready to win now, it seems, with some young players like Carlos Correa, uh, Jose Altuve, coming darn close to uh, well, in the MVP voting this this past season. I mean, that's that's a prime 
Uh, they added Brian McCann, too, behind the plate. They're, they're adding. They're ready to roll. They, though, had a step back of a season from Dallas Keuchel last year. Colin McHugh was uh, Lance McCullers, interesting, but not as great as maybe that last season would have led you to believe. They're one of those potential landing places for a guy like Chris Sale. He'd make sense on that ball club and adding an ace like that. And they got a young kid in Alex Bregman who everybody wants a shot at. So Carlos Beltran going to the Astros just a couple of minutes ago or uh, reported just a couple of minutes ago by guys like Buster Rolney and the like. Uh, one year, and I believe it's $16 million. Wanted to get into some of the notes from the collective bargaining agreement and want to give some of the uh, some of the bigger-name players who were non-tendered by their clubs just over the last 48 hours. Let's do that real quickly here because we can run through just a few of them. You can uh, mutter to yourself driving around in the car whether you think these guys be worth flyers for the White Sox or whatever team you know you think they might fit on. One guy right off the top, Tyson Ross of the San Diego Padres, uh, was non-tendered. And of course, that's he started opening day for the Padres, strikes out a lot of guys, walks a lot of guys. He uh, missed a lot of the 2016 season. He had the thoracic outlet syndrome issue in October, and that's uh, it's a shoulder issue that can cost you a lot of time. Ross, though, came with a lot of uh, a lot of pedigree and uh, a lot of Ross stuff. Chris Carter of the Brewers, non-tendered. Wellington Castillo and Ruby De La Rosa of the Diamondbacks, all non-tendered. Castillo, uh, a catcher, of course, and a guy who's noted for being a pretty good guy with the stick, as far as catchers go, having a little pop and... Being okay behind the plate. Ben Revere, non-tendered by the Nationals. Seth Manis of the Cardinals. Jeff Manship of the Indians. Vance Worley of the Orioles. And Jeff Locke of the Pirates. A lot of arms there and some big names uh, that were non-tendered by the teams and are now into the free agent market. Speaking of which, and these are some of the rules that have changed in the CBA that I kind of wanted to get to and discuss with you. Some of the issues and some of the... Um, some of the, you know, kind of dominoes that might be falling because of these rule changes for clubs. The qualifying offer is one issue in this new CBA that I know teams uh, wanted to, well, the players union definitely wanted to get rid of, or at least the attaching of draft picks to teams making qualifying offers. Now, those rules, the rules now have changed. You remember in the past, you used to essentially attach a salmon round pick or uh, lose, your, lose a first-round pick if it was outside the top ten if you'd signed a free agent. Remember some of the conversation about the White Sox was uh, in this past offseason, you were going to lose that 20, 26th overall pick should the White Sox have signed a guy like Ian Desmond uh, as that offseason kind of or really a spring training was rolling around. That's no longer the case, and it's more complicated uh, now, the compensation rules for signing a player who's been given a qualifying offer. Teams getting revenue sharing, there's 16 of those, fall into one category of teams signing a qualified player. Teams over the luxury tax threshold form another category, and teams that aren't in either, they don't get revenue sharing money and they're not over the threshold, are a third category. If you're getting money from the revenue sharing program, right, and you lose a player to a contract that's over $50 million, you get a first-round pick, if it's under $50 million, you get a, a first-round pick after the compensation in the compensation round. Essentially, and, and I won't go through, there are a couple of different levels and tiers, I guess, which probably make for quite boring radio. But I can tell you this much. There's been a scaled back of compensation to teams that lose players through qualifying offers. And that's not everything the union wanted. They wanted to get rid of that completely. 
it's closer and closer to being actual free agency, to having an actually uncontrolled, well, I guess controlled just by demand, uh, a market that's controlled just by demand. But we're not quite there yet. Another thing that's changed in this new CBA is the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax. That goes up from $189 million to $195 million this year. Goes up again to 206, and then 208, then 210. I mean, these things. Look, the money in baseball has been increasing astronomically for years, and it's a good thing because that means the revenues are up. That means teams are doing well. That means the sports having a pretty good go. But the penalties for being over these luxury taxes are going up, and they're going up and up for teams that are repeatedly over the luxury tax to the degree where. You could theoretically see a ball club pay almost a dollar-for-dollar tax in being over the luxury tax after just two seasons. So that's something that's going to affect spending of a lot of clubs as well, or at least you know have them looking at exactly where and how they can best add to their rosters. Next biggest thing is that there is no international draft. That was kicked around and rumored quite a bit to be a, a, a big point of contention between the union and Major League Baseball. The Major League Baseball and the owners seemingly wanting uh, an international draft, one that would uh, help regulate exactly how that kind of talent pours in, exactly whom you're able to draft, all that kind of stuff. And the Players Union, of course, wanting to have um, the ability for the ability for players like um, I'm trying to think of a couple. Oh, Yuan Mankata comes to mind first, of course, uh, one of the top prospects for the Red Sox coming over as a, as a Cuban. That's how these guys. Well, Jose Abreu would be followed under the same kind of category, a guy who was not eligible for a draft, made a good amount of money signing just out of Cuba, that kind of thing. Instead, there is a cap on international spending for some of these young players. That hard cap is going to be right about $5 million. There's ways teams can expand, teams can trade for and expand some of that money. But that's going to be quite different in how teams acquire players and how teams spend for some of those players, that hard cap. Of course, the big thing was that the All-Star Game no longer determines home field in the World Series. Really happy that that happened. I was not a fan of that rule. We talked with, in fact, on White Sox Weekly, I want to say it was week two of the Major League season. Yeah, it was like the second week. Rob Manford came through. Uh, we had a conversation with him. I asked him about the uh, the All-Star Game, and he said that it was a, you know, a little bit of dissonance between the, the intellectual agreement of, okay, an exhibition game, determines home field for the World Series, uh, balancing the interest in the Midsummer Classic in that All-Star game against you know some of that, eh, does this really make sense? He seemed okay with it then. That is obviously not the case now. It's It's been changed, uh, and you won't have an All-Star game determining. Um, if the teams, it'll be inf- instead the pennant winner with the best record, hosts game one and has home field advantage. Uh, if the teams have identical records, your first tiebreaker is head-to-head matchups during the regular season, and then your record within your own division. So big things, great things, I think, uh, in that one, or in, in that rule change. There are a couple others, um, and one that I thought was going to come through is the 26th man was going to be added to the rosters. So instead of 25, you were going to have 26, you were going to have an extra player, and it seemed as though... You know, Two sides were worried that ball clubs would just be adding another reliever, which adds length to game, which decreases offense in the way bullpens have been used over the course of the last five, six, ten years or so. And and I thought that that 26th roster spot would have been a good idea for a lot of ball clubs if they added a hitter to it. 
I like the idea, philosophically, I guess, of, of bullpenning. I love the competitive advantage that that can give a club. I like the drama that it added to the World Series when guys like Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller specifically were getting thrown into situations that were hot and heavy, and you saw those guys succeed in situations they wouldn't otherwise pitch in throughout the regular season. I like that stuff, and I think it's very clear that if you have the right bullpen and manage it correctly, you win a lot of ball games just doing that kind of thing. But over the course of a 162-game season, you know, adding just an extra pitcher would really kind of bog things down somewhat. I thought you'd get around that with making a rule about uh, making sure that you could have X amount of pitchers, maybe force teams to add that hitter. I thought it would have been beneficial for ball clubs. Did not come through. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, maybe that's something they add to that next CBA after five years or so. And of course, uh, one of the big ones that a lot of people wonder about, there is no universal DH yet. Still going to wait on that one. Oh, and the 15-day DL. No longer 15 days. It's 10. It's going to be a 10-day DL. Hey, sports fans, the Bulls Sox Youth Academy, the official youth training facility of the Chicago Bulls and White Sox, runs year-round basketball, baseball, and fast-pitch softball sports programming for boys and girls ages 5 to 18. The academy offers private lessons, camps, travel teams, birthday parties, field trips, and much more. Call 630-PLAY-BALL or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, step to a break here real quick, and when we come back, talk a little bit about Harold Baines. He's got a big weekend coming up, and uh, keep your fingers crossed, White Sox fans. Maybe, maybe Harold Baines. It's the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about it next on WLS AM 890. Big John and Ray. Weekday mornings 5 to 9. WLS AM 890. Any kind of something to score a run, and the Sox will grab the golden ring. You see Harold second in game-winning RBIs. You couldn't ask for a better man to stand at the plate than that. And Del Crandall is going to bring the infield in. The outfield is shallow. Vandenberg will work from the stretch. And that is in the shallow center. It's just for the run. Cruz tags. Here's the catch. Here comes the throw. Here comes Cruz. Western champions in the American League. And you think there aren't some happy people on the field. Carol Bain with the game-winning RBI. The White Sox win it 4-3. Pandemonium here at Comiskey Park. That was the call, September 17th, 1983. Harold Baines getting the job done, as he so often did for the White Sox and throughout his uh, 20 plus career, uh, 20 plus year career in Major League Baseball, uh, you can hear Hawk in the background there on the call. It's Drysdale and, and Hawk. You can hear him in the background yelling, screaming. I, I didn't realize, and I, I watched the YouTube clip uh, again uh, five or six times this afternoon, this morning. Uh, I didn't realize that the, you know, because you hear the call, and, and, and of course it's a famous one, and White Sox fans remember it and have remembered it for years. That 83 club, such a, a beloved team, you know, a sack fly getting it done for Harold Baines, which just makes a whole lot of sense. The dude was uh, an incredibly quiet guy as a player, but absolutely would get it done for you. So good with runners in scoring position throughout his major league career. Um, and the RBI totals speak to that. And and throughout the course of, of major league baseball's history, RBI totals get you in. That's changed some 
uh, with with the advent of, of sabermetrics and exactly how we value players. Uh, but Harold Baines, for for what he was and, and when he played, I think a lot of things would surprise you about Harold Baines. And the reason we're talking about him uh, here on the show today is that tomorrow, in fact, um, we're going to find out exactly who uh, the December 4 baseball winter meetings, they're going to be reviewed and voted on. The, the members of the Today's Game Era ballot will be reviewed and voted on. There are a number of guys up for induction to the Hall of Fame, including Harold Baines, Albert Bell, Will Clark, Oral Hershiser, Davey Johnson, Mark McGuire, Lou Pinella, John Sherholtz, Bud Selig, and George Steinbrenner. Of course, some of those guys going in uh, as members of uh, for their contributions off the field. Selig, Sherholtz, and Steinbrenner, uh, Johnson, and Pinella are in there for their contributions as managers. Uh, Steinbrenner, the only one of those who aren't, who is not a, a, would not be living, of course. Steinbrenner passed away a few years ago. Uh, but a couple of players on there of, of big note. And Harold Baines, who, and I didn't, I didn't realize some of these things as you go back and look through some of his career. As a DH, when he left, uh, and, and retired from Major League Baseball, of course, the knee injury kind of limited his ability to play outfield. In fact, after his knee injury, he only played 81 games in the outfield for the rest of his career, so it did limit his mobility some and, and versatility. But when he left, he was one of the best DHs to have done it, uh, a player who's played at least 50% of their career games at DH. In OPS+, Plus, there are only a handful of guys who have done better work from the DH spot. Baines sits at 5, 121 OPS+. Plus. Hal McCray at 125, David Ortiz at 141, Edgar Martinez at 147. I mean, the award's named after him. It makes a lot of sense. The, the best DH in the league is the Edgar Martinez Award. And Frank Thomas, a career 156 OPS. Um, and, and while, you know, obviously he has been passed by a couple of guys, the position has changed, I think, quite a bit, too. Even when Baines had, had come up and started to use it, it was really just starting to be used for guys who, you know, quote-unquote, couldn't feel or weren't able to or, or bodies had kind of left them. Um and, and I think when you, you take a look at even some of Harold Baines' comments about his uh, potential to make the Hall of Fame tomorrow, uh, he's he's honored by the whole thing, and and rightly so. I mean, to be in the list of names like that, he was Harold was surprised. Uh, he told people to to be on the today's game era ballot, and this is part of the part of the veterans ballot that we talk about a lot. Um, after your your name is kind of passed off the the ten year mark. Um, of the major league ballot, you, you get passed on to these based on your the era in which you played, uh, and, and it kind of moves on from there. So those are the names that are being considered. Harold is. I want to get a couple other things that were pretty remarkable about Harold's career. Four different times, well, three different times, he was a member of the White Sox. Uh, of course, you remember the the early parts of of his career and how darn good a player he was. Four different times, Harold Baines was dealt midseason to teams that made the playoffs. You talk about a guy. The teams were obviously targeting to go and get, like, here's what this roster needs to succeed. Here's what we need to go and get. Um, he hit 324, 378, and 510 with five dingers and 113 postseason plate appearances. Uh, he finished with 2,866 hits, 384 homers. At the time of his retirement, he held the most records for DH, including games, hits, homers, and runs batted in. Martinez and Ortiz have passed him. Those two are great players. But Harold Baines is up for the Hall of Fame tomorrow. And everybody here at White Sox Weekly and, of course, uh, in the White Sox front office and White Sox fans have their fingers crossed for the silent one, Harold Baines, number three.
The most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with MLB.com at bat, the number one app for live baseball. You can enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game day scores, stat cast, live radio broadcasts, and more at MLB.com at bat on your favorite devices now. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Have a wonderful Saturday afternoon. A big thanks to Scott Merkin of MLB.com for hopping on the show. Thanks to our producer, Justin Basic. We'll be back next Saturday from noon until 1. Until then, enjoy the offseason.